Welcome back to Belonging to the Wild. This is Vanya, and I'm so excited to be back here in this space after taking a short break. And today, I want to start off our conversation by telling you a little humble story. It's a well-known story and can often be overlooked or taken for granted. And yet I find so much metaphoric and mythic medicine in its little folds. And so I want to tell you the story that we know as the story of the ugly duckling. Um, because I want to start a few conversations here about belonging. What does it mean, first of all, to belong to the wild, which is, of course, the title of this podcast and also just generally engaging this question that we have so often about what it means to belong how to find belonging and what I found too is on the way to true belonging we will inevitably cross through periods of unbelonging and of exile and that these questions are woven together. This quest for belonging is woven together with the inevitability of finding some unbelonging along the way. So let's dive into this little humble story. We start at a small village next to a river. And everything is bustling and bursting and busy with the business of the arrival of spring. And so the children are running barefoot for the first time in months. And the grandmothers and the grandfathers are telling stories and opening windows and shaking rugs. And other folks are out in the field preparing the ground for the new seed. And so, too, by the river, the animals are busy and bursting and bustling with the arrival of spring. And this includes a mama duck who's sitting on a pile of eggs day after day, night after night, warming, watching, and waiting for the arrival of these little creatures. She's a devoted and loving mother and very patient. And one day, she and also... Some members of the community that swing by to check on her notice that one of the eggs doesn't look quite right. It looks too large. It's The color's a little off. The shape's not exactly right. And in their loving concern, these community members share with the mother their worries. Oh, I don't know if this egg's okay. I don't know if it's going to be all right. I don't know what this is. The mother assures them, reassuring herself, saying, it's fine, it's fine. This egg's just a little larger. It's going to be okay. And one day, the eggs hatch. Little cracks appear on the shells, and little tiny beaks poke out, and, and the shells fall away. And the wonder of new life in the form of these little ducklings fills the village with joy and jubilation. And the mother's heart is bursting with love. And they all noticed that the large egg did not hatch. Well, again, the community members that are concerned decide it's the loving thing to do to share their worries. 
In fact, um, now they're really concerned that this leg isn't actually going to ever hatch. And maybe that's actually for the best because it's so odd. And the mother shoes them away and says, no, 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 this egg is going to be just fine. And sure enough, one day the egg hatches. And once again, the shell cracks, a little beak pokes out, the shell falls away. And the village is filled with joy, but this time it's a bit hushed. It's a bit quieter because underneath the congratulatory smiles and words arrives a great fear because what they see, they do not know. What they see, they don't recognize. This creature looks nothing like the other ducklings. She's larger and pink, almost transparent. You can see the blue veins under the skin. Her beak is larger. Her, she just doesn't look right to them. And they, again, share their concerns with the mother duck. And the mother duck says, she's okay. She just got a little twisted up in the large egg. She's in there a little bit too long. She's going to be just fine. And however, as the days move, uh, go on, as the weeks pass by, the children decide that they have the right to bully and be cruel and mean to this creature. And the elders of the village decide that's probably a good idea because this will toughen her up and make her ready for the long road ahead, considering how odd she is. And in fact, some of the older members of the community even begin to speculate on, should we even keep her in our community? Is it even worth it? And the mother defends this creature and shoes away the children and argues with the elders. But as the weeks go on, she becomes exhausted. And as the weeks go on, she feels herself being pushed to the edge of the village. The mother feels the imminent exile that would come her way if she continues on the path she's on. She can't quite name this truth, but she feels it deep down inside that she has to choose between being in the village and the old way. Between that and her fierce love for this new life. And one day in her exhaustion and her exasperation and her fear, she turns to the creature and says, I wish you were never born. I wish you weren't here at all. And both of their hearts break in that moment. And that night, the creature sneaks out of the house, out of the village and away from the river, and begins a time of wandering. And this time is full of adventures and misadventures where she barely escapes with her life several times. She meets up with geese and that invite her to go with them, but immediately get shot down by hunters. She comes across a farmer and his family who desire some eggs or at the least some stew. And she barely makes it out of there with her life. And it's a time of deep unbelonging. She doesn't even know her own name or what she is. 
and every moment is permeated with a deep sense of aloneness. Except for one, one moment during these months, she felt something different. This happened on a day where she was swimming alone in a little pond. And in a rare moment where she looked beyond her immediate survival, she looked up into the clouds. She doesn't know why, looking back, but she did. She looked up. And flying in the sky, she saw the most magnificent vision she had ever seen. She saw these beautiful creatures with big wings and graceful necks flying above her and something in her recognized and knew and felt known for the first time in her entire little life. She, in retrospect, can't really tell you still if that was a vision or if she actually saw these creatures. But whatever it was, she felt so filled with awe and so filled with wonder and so filled with a sense of belonging that she had to dive down to the bottom of the pond and belly to the mud under a, a, a leaf and wait until her body stopped trembling. But besides that moment, during these months of unbelonging and wandering, she only felt alone. She only felt destitute. She only felt unbelonging. But she found a way to survive. And she eventually made it through the winter and had found a little lake where she made a quiet home. She was alone, but she was mostly safe. And again, everything was busy and bursting and bustling with the business of the arrival of spring. And the children were running barefoot. The grandmothers were shaking rugs and the grandfathers were telling stories. And folks were out in the field planting new seed, preparing the ground for new seed. And this creature, now much larger, is swimming on the lake by herself and again in a rare moment she looks up something splashes in the lake and catches her attention it's early morning the mist is just rolling off the waters and she looks up and she sees these creatures that she had seen in her vision they're magnificent they're even more beautiful than she remembered and they notice her too. And she notices that they start swimming toward her. And she thinks, this is it. They're coming here to kill me. But what? Is there a better way to die than by the hands of these magnificent creatures? And so as they swim toward her, she bows down her now very long neck and faces the water and waits for her fate to arrive. But something happens. As she bows down to her fate and waits for her death, she sees one of these creatures just under the surface of the water looking back up at her. 
And she's uh, filled with even more wonder. How can this creature be down there looking up at me from under the water? She doesn't even have room in her heart for fear. She's so filled with wonder. And then something else happens. And she realizes in a slow moment of unfolding that what she sees is herself. What she sees is her own reflection. What she understands even more slowly is that she is one of those creatures. And so by the time they reach her, she's seen what she is and is able to recognize her kin. She's able to recognize her belonging with them because now she's seen what she has become. In that moment where she saw herself in the water, she knew, oh, I am not that anymore. This is what I have become. I am one of them. And so... These great swans teach her the way of the swan. They teach her her names. They teach her her stories. They teach her her ways. And to this day, her family her still tells this story. And they still wonder around the lake, around their homes, they still wonder as they tell this story, what would have happened to this grandmother swan if she had stayed in that village trying to be a duck for the rest of her life? And sometimes they laugh at the absurdity of it. And sometimes it makes them cry. There's a moment in the story where the mother fears so much her own exile that she chooses to exile the new life instead. And this is a moment that painfully, I think, and probably most of us can relate to, that we experience this sense of exile and even banishment from communities, places, institutions, families, religions, relationships, cultures, when we don't conform to the should, when we don't obey the commandments of obedience, what does it mean to be good here in this particular environment? What does it mean to be um, recognized or like the others? And that when we don't do that, and then when we choose to transgress, in order to just fit our own selves rather than fit the mold of what we're supposed to be, we experience this really painful moment of exile, of having to leave the community we thought we belonged to. And the other thing that comes up in the story for me is that we don't just experience this, experience this externally, that oftentimes we are also doing this to parts of ourselves. You know, think of the times where something in you came up and you knew it was going to be ridiculed, rejected, that it would put your way of life at risk, that it would put you at risk of exile. Whether that's uh, a new love, whether that's a vocational path, whether that's a religion, whether that's um, 
an, an identity, a sexual identity, a gender identity. There's so many ways that we can come up against this edge of belonging and have to choose to be willing to risk the way it was in the village and this new life that's emerging that doesn't quite fit, that is not yet named, that is not yet recognizable to our community, whether that's internally or externally or both. And this is something that I think is important as we talk about belonging, that on the way to truer and hopefully truer belonging, we will face inevitable exile and unbelonging. And this is very painful. And I think most of us know this, have had experiences like this. And yet it's good to name because in those moments of unbelonging, in those moments of exile, we can lose heart. We can think that we've done something wrong. We can think that we should have stayed in false belonging instead. And that's something I love about this story is that at the end of the story, we meet the the, the swan's family, grand ducklings and, and neighbors and, and uncles and aunties and cousins. And we meet this family that's all gathered around these stories of what if she had stayed in her whole life, tried to be a duck. And sometimes it makes them laugh and sometimes it makes them weep because it's absurd and it would have been a tragedy. And it's a wonderful little medicinal elixir we can carry with us in our pockets for those moments where we wonder about our unbelonging and we wonder if we should have stayed in what we knew was false, if we should have stayed in what we knew was costing us too much, was actually costing us our nature, ourselves, that we can bring out this little story medicine and remember the tragedy that it would have been if this beautiful, magnificent swan had spent her entire life in a cruel gaze trying to be something that she wasn't. On our way to true belonging, we will face these moments of exile, of sacred unbelonging, of liminality, where we're in between. And these times can be so painful, not only because of the loss of what was or what we wish had been, but also because of the fear that we don't know what's ahead, if anything. And we don't know our new names yet. We don't recognize ourselves. We might not know what we're becoming, much less who and what we belong with and to. And these are times where when we receive these moments of grace, where something in us recognizes something sacred and numinous, like the moment where the creature sees the swans in the sky. She doesn't know what she's seeing. She doesn't understand it. She can't explain it. And she won't for a while. But she, she witnesses them and they fill her with possibility and wonder. And sometimes that's all we can hope for when we're in this sacred unbelonging and pay attention to is those moments where something in us is full of wonder and a little bit of room for possibility is created, even if we don't know 
even what we're hoping for yet. This time of unbelonging is terrible. It's so hard. And if you're in a time like that right now, I hope you are met with many of these moments of grace that just bring you a little seed of wonder and possibility in the midst of feeling a lot of probably grief, fear, and aloneness. And I think there's an opportunity in sacred and belonging that when we don't belong to anything else, we feel untethered, we feel lost, that we have the opportunity to learn to belong to ourselves, to find what I to find self-belonging. And this becomes a part of the story, right? In that that moment later, in the next spring, time has gone on, and the swan is swimming on the lake, and she sees the creatures again, and they come toward her, and she thinks, this is how I die. And she lowers her head, and she sees her reflection in the water. That's the moment where she knows what she is, and she belongs herself to her true, to her nature. She belongs herself to the wild within and the wild without because now she sees oh I am not that I am not those names anymore this is what I have become I see what I am I see who I am and then once she's had that knowing that seeing that self-belonging She knows by the time the swans get to her that they are her kin, that she belongs with them. And she knows that they are here because they know that she belongs with them. And everything has changed in that moment that she sees what she is, in that moment that she sees what she's become. In life, this is that moment when we can see what we are and begin the sometimes long work of letting go of the old stories and the old names. I am no longer an ugly duckling. I am swan. Seeing what she is is inextricably linked to her knowing her belonging, right? This is the magic of (laughs) self-belonging, In the mystery of it, that the more we root ourselves in what we are, in our nature, in our wildness, actually the more connected we are able to be to the wildness around us, to nature around us, to our belonging here. So what does it mean to belong to the wild within and without? We've talked about it here on this podcast before, but I'll say it again, um, that the way I think of it, being wild, to be wild is to know what we're made of, who we are, and to live from that place without shame and apology. On the other hand, being domesticated is to live by the rules of another right? To, to, to be taught the rules of another and to live by those rules. To be wild is to live by your own inner law because you know your nature 
You know what you are. You know what you're made of. And, and then you live your life out of that place of wildness without shame and with wholeheartedness. You know, I look at wild animals. That's what makes them wild. Like, that's what makes a cheetah wild is that she knows she's a cheetah and she knows where to hunt, what to eat, when is safe to go to the watering hole, where, what kind of habitat she needs to live in, what she needs to teach her, her young, what predators she needs to look out for. She knows all of these things. She's a part of her community because she knows she's a cheetah. And again, the absurdity of a cheetah trying to be a duckling is, you know, it just highlights the tragedy and the impossibility of that. If the cheetah were domesticated to live like a, a duckling or a dog, we can see then and start to delineate these edges of wildness and domestication. Similarly to the duckling trying to live her whole life as, or the swan trying to live her whole life as a duckling. So for us to belong to the wild, to me, means that we lean into our lives as tender wild creatures that were given into our stewardship in this lifetime. In other words, we don't approach our lives as the conquerors or as the masters of this life where we get to tell our life what we're going to do with it, but that we approach our lives with this kind of reverent attitude and we get to know the wild of our lives. In other words, our nature. We hold our lives like tender wild creatures in our arms and we get to know what do you like? What do you not like? What are your stories? What are your wounds? What are your limitations? What are your gifts? What homes do you feel most comfortable with? What kind of relationships do you feel most alive in? What kind of foods do you like? We get to know this wild creature and then we make a life and live a life without shame that makes sense to that wild creature. And like for the swan, when she belongs herself to herself, in other words, when she looks into the water and she finally sees what she's become, she finally sees what she is, she finally sees her wild nature. Outside of the bounds of domestication, outside of the names others have given her, outside of the constraints of the belonging she had lost because it was false and unloving. When she finally sees what she is, she also sees where she belongs. She also is able to recognize that instead of danger and threat, these swans are bringing her belonging. It's such a beautiful moment of recognition and I think belonging to the wild is about that, is about us knowing our own nature. First of all, knowing that we are, remembering that we are nature, and then seeing the wildness within us that's outside of the bounds of our domestication and indoctrination and obedience to the shoulds. And we see the beauty of our nature and then we also learn slowly, sometimes suddenly, and sometimes over and over again, what we belong ourselves to in the world. 
Sometimes we talk about belonging as this simple, static thing that we can find or not find, or that we find once and then that's, you know, work is done. And in my experience, belonging's very complex and ever-changing and living, a living thing. And in fact, when belonging becomes a dead thing, it becomes something else. Because then we enter into the realm of belonging as property, belonging as hierarchy, belonging as ownership, belonging as weapon that says obey or be exiled. This is the kind of, if we find ourselves in this kind of belonging, it's a good time to wonder what it's become and what it's costing us. If we're in a belonging that's costing us our nature, that's costing us our true shapes and forms and passions and loves, that's costing us um, our largeness, that this is a time to wonder, to wonder about where we are, to wonder about what the sacrifices are that are being made for this kind of what we're calling belonging and wonder about this little creature who knows at some point that it has to leave that false belonging in order to eventually find self-belonging and wild belonging. I think what we long for is a belonging that's not about ownership, obedience, hierarchy, or property. We want a belonging that's about kinship, that's about relationship, that's about love. <laughs> and it's important for us to let ourselves feel into that and to recognize the moments when belonging is not bringing us that or it's actually um, become something harmful to us. And so wherever you are today, whether you're sitting on some eggs, <laughs> that you're afraid of what might be hatched and what it might cost you, whether you're finding yourself in the mama duckling and saying to parts of yourself that are emerging, I'm scared of you. I kind of wish you weren't here because you're afraid of being exiled. If you're, if you're this little creature wandering in the winter, wondering every single day if you're going to make it because you don't see what you are and you don't see what you belong Or if you've just had a moment where you look up and you're filled with wonder and you don't understand it. Or if you've just seen your own reflection and you're looking for your kin. May this humble little story strengthen your spirit and be a lantern for your next step, whatever that might be. The way to wild belonging is neither linear nor simple, and certainly not easy. The way towards wild belonging involves letting go of false and old belonging. It means losing our place. 
It means losing our names sometimes and our stories. And it's really hard and it's really scary. And when we're in those moments, may the image of this magnificent grandmother swan trying to live her entire life as a little duckling strengthen our spirits to move, to keep going, to take the next step, to keep moving out of false belonging, out of domestication, out of obedience to the shoulds, and into our wildness and into our wild belonging. And so may it be. And so it is. Thank you so much for being here and for choosing to spend your time wandering around this humble little story with me. I wanted to let you all know that I'm starting a new Gathering Bones course this fall. And if you're someone who enjoys stories and diving into their medicine in community, this could be an offering that might interest you. I'll put the link in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with a friend that might enjoy it too. That would be wonderful. I want to thank Caitlin Turner for helping me produce this podcast, and I will meet you here next time. Thank you.